Our souls were wonderfully fed by the preaching of Pastor Antonio, were they not? The title of his sermon was, Let's Brotherly Love Continue. It's something that we are to listen to, not merely one Sunday, but we can hear that message every Sunday, every single day of our lives. And that sermon was a fitting sermon to end 2019, because in that sermon we are reminded but also exhorted to be the Christians that Christ has commanded us to be, to be those who are worthy of the calling. You see, Christianity is not a lone ranger religion. It's not just you and your horse and you're off, but rather Christianity is a corporate religion. It involves the entire body of believers. We aren't to have the mind of the world where we think that everyone is running for themselves and they're trying to cross the finish line just for themselves, but we are to run this marathon together hand by hand, arm in arm, side by side with one another. That is the Christian life, is it not? There is a special bond that we have with one another. A bond that goes beyond blood, but it is spiritual. And that bond, that foundation is Jesus Christ. You are, my brothers and sisters, in Jesus Christ in a very unique and special way than I am my brother of my siblings. And since we have this bond with one another, God commands that we treat one another with love and charity. Romans 12:10 love one another with brotherly affection, outdo one another in showing honor. Ephesians 4:2 with all humility and gentleness with patience, bearing with one another in love. Jesus says in John 13:34, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also love one another. If there's anything that the Bible is crystal clear on, it is that we are to love one another. And that was brought out beautifully and masterfully uh, and exegetically and theologically and all these other ologies uh, by Pastor Antonio last Lord's Day Sabbath. Indeed, last uh, Lord's Day Sabbath sermon was both convicting because if anything that we need help with, it is going out of our way and loving others and showing love to others. But it's also encouraging because we have the Holy Spirit indwelt within us that we can do these things. Now, how are we to enter 2020? We ended the year 2019 with considering our love for our brothers and sisters in the faith. And I think it's only fitting that we enter the year 2020 considering our love for Christ. We ended 2019 considering our love for our brothers and sisters in Christ. Now we enter 2020 considering our love for Jesus Christ. And to help us uh, consider our love for Christ, I want us to consider one verse in 1 Corinthians chapter 16. If you have your Bibles, you can turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 16. And to give you the context and the history 
of the church in Corinth before we stand for the reading of God's word and while you're scrolling to the pages to get there. If there's anything, if there's any church that we don't desire to be like, if there's any way in which we can be awoken to how we aren't to church, just read for first and second Corinthians. The church at Corinth was a troubled church. They had many gifts, but their their one hindrance was their lack of love for one another. The one thing that held them back most was they weren't united with one another. They're arguing over who should we follow? I follow this person. I follow this person. They're arguing over spiritual gifts. I have this, and this gift is better than this gift. You see, the church at Corinth very much ran their marathon like those runners that we see in the Olympic Games. They were going for the gold for themselves, but they weren't running the race, this marathon, side by side with one another. And that's why Paul, in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, he, he writes one of the most favorite chapters in all the Bible. It's called the love chapter. That he reminds them that if you have spiritual gifts, that's good. But seek the better gift, which is love. If you have the gift of tongues, if you have this gift, that's fine. But if you don't have love, then you're a noisy gong and a clinging cymbal. You're nothing if you don't have love. Hope will give away. Faith will give away. But love will endure forever. We don't want to be like the church at Corinth. And we read in chapter 16 in Paul's final greetings. He says one thing in that chapter that is most remarkable. In fact, In this verse, although he has given them exhortations and instructions on how they are to love one another, he gives them a warning. He wakes them up one last time. So if you would, let's stand for the reading of God's word. We'll be in 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verse 22. One verse for this morning. 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verse 22. The word of the Lord says this. If anyone has no love for the Lord, let him be accursed. O Lord, come. You may be seated. To help us with this very convicting, but also uplifting verse. We will have just two points to consider. Number one, the command to love Christ. The command to love Christ. And the second point, the motives to love Christ. Number one, the command to love Christ. And number two, the motives to love Jesus Christ. Let's look at the first point, and that is the command to love Jesus Christ. The command to love Jesus Christ. When Christians consider the law of God, they tend to think that 
all that the law details, all that the law is, is simply the Ten Commandments. And there is some truth to that line of thinking. The essence of the law is best summed up in the Ten Commandments. Our Lord's righteous and holy character is best seen in the Ten Commandments. But saints, we aren't to err in thinking that all that God's law details is simply the Ten Commandments. But there are other laws in addition to the Ten Commandments that Christians are bound to obey. Meaning you're not just bound to keep only the Ten Commandments. But there's other things in the Bible that God has commanded you to obey. Take, for example, the gathering for church service. Hebrews 10, verses 24 and 25. And let us consider how to stir one another up to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another all the more as you see the day drawing near. Take, for example, the command to love one another. Jesus says in John 15:12, this commandment, this is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. And take, for example, our text this morning. If anyone has no love for Christ, let him be accursed. Our Lord, come. This is without doubt a command from our Lord. And although this command isn't found in the Ten Commandments, the essence of this command is found in the Ten Commandments. Remember back in Matthew 22 when a lawyer asked Jesus, Teacher, which is the great commandment of the law? He says, if you can sum up the Ten Commandments in one or two laws, what would they be? And Jesus says, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. He says, this is the first and great commandment. Here Jesus says, the first and greatest commandment is to love the Lord with all your heart, soul, and mind. That's the first and greatest commandment. This commandment, along with loving your neighbor, best sums up the entire Ten Commandments. Well, friends, if loving the Lord is the first and greatest commandment, then not loving the Lord is the first and greatest of sins. If loving the Lord is the first and greatest commandment, then not loving the Lord is the greatest of sins. All throughout the Bible, we see this command of loving God repeated time and time again. If there's anything that the Bible is clear on, is that we are commanded to love, not just our neighbor, but also the Lord. But here in our text this morning, we see that there are grave consequences to the one who doesn't love the Lord. Let's suppose you say, well, what happens if I don't love God? In fact, I asked that question to my wife yesterday. I said, what happens if I don't pay my credit cards? <laughs> I, I spent an hour looking up things of what will happen if I don't pay my credit cards. What will happen if you don't love the Lord? Are there any consequences to it? Well, Paul says, let him be accursed. If you don't love the Lord, let him be accursed. This is language that we've heard before from St. Paul, is it not? He said in Romans 9.3, For I wish that I myself were cursed 
and cut off from Christ for the sake of my brothers, my own flesh and blood. He says to the church in Galatia, in Galatians 1.8, But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you, let him be accursed. We've heard this language before. This word accursed in the Greek is a word that you've heard before, I'm sure, if you have a, a New King James Bible, King James Bible is, that word anathema. Let him be anathema. And this this word is used for the most strongest and gravest of sins. You don't want someone to pronounce anathema on you. But what does it mean to be accursed? To simply put, it means to be casted out. It means to be excommunicated from the church. It means that on the last day that God is going to pronounce a severe punishment upon you. It means that the wrath of God is abiding upon you according to the word of God. But if we were honest with ourselves, this is too severe of a punishment, is it not? I mean, we can understand Paul in Romans 9.3, that he's desiring to be cut off. He's desiring to be accursed in order that his fellow kin, his fellow brothers and sisters may believe. If it takes for the Jews to believe, then let me be accursed. We can understand that. Because many of you can echo those words. We can understand Paul in Galatians 1.8. If anyone says that you can merit salvation upon good works, then let that man be accursed. He's preaching a false gospel. We can understand that. But Paul, if someone doesn't love Jesus, let him be accursed? That doesn't make any sense. That's too harsh, is it not? But friends, is it really? Is it really too severe of a punishment? How disgusted would we look at a woman who's so deeply loved by a man, who's given the entire world, and she doesn't show that love in return? How appalled would we look at a child whose parents love him to death, and that child doesn't feel the same way about them? Well, in the case of Christ, he's given to you something far better than the world has ever given to you. He's given to you himself. Parents may say that they love their children to death, but Jesus Christ literally, literally showed you his love for you by dying for you. In light of all that, I say like Paul, if anyone doesn't love Christ, let him be accursed. If you don't love Christ, repent. As R.C. Sproul would say, crawl over over in glass in your repentance. Because it's unreasonable not to love Christ. It's illogical not to love Jesus Christ in light of all that he's done. But more so, who he is. That punishment is not too harsh, but rather, it's just right. If you don't love Christ, then you are accursed. That God is going to pronounce judgment upon you if you don't love Jesus Christ. And did you notice in our text the exclusivity of Christ? Notice Paul doesn't say, if anyone has no love for doctrine or theology, let him be accursed. Now, I love doctrine, I love theology. That doesn't, he doesn't say, if anyone doesn't love the things about Christ, isn't that what's so common in church today? 
Love Christ for what he has done and what he can give you rather than who he is. He doesn't say if anyone doesn't love the church or the people of the church. We are to love our brothers and sisters in Christ. Don't get me wrong. But rather, Paul, he puts the preeminence on Jesus Christ. If you don't love Christ, then you are cursed. Because Christ is to have preeminence above everything. He's to be supreme above everything. You can love your brothers and sisters in Christ without loving Christ. You can come to church without loving Christ. But Paul says you must love the preeminent one, Jesus Christ. It is him and our love for him that is to take preeminence. Friends, who in your life has preeminence? Who in your life has your whole heart in love? Who do you love the most? If you were to create a list of those who you love, where would Christ rank on that list? And friends, if we were honest with ourselves, there are two or three names above Christ on our list. We might even put ourselves before Jesus Christ. If we were honest with ourselves, we don't give to Jesus Christ the love that he rightly deserves. We don't love him the way that we ought to love him, the way that we dream about loving him. Every day, aren't we confronted with a test to whether we love Jesus Christ or not? Every single day. Lounging when we should be reading. Sleeping when we ought to be praying. The way we use our time throughout the day is the test that we are confronted with every single day of whether you love Jesus Christ or not. Now, I'm not downplaying sleep and I'm not downplaying lounging, but don't abuse those things. If you have a little bit of time, if you have a little bit of energy, spend your time with Jesus Christ. Saints, tomorrow, even tonight, when you are confronted with that test, ask yourself the same question that Christ asked Peter in John 21. Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Do you love Jesus Christ? more than that extra hour of sleep when you could be praying for your brothers and sisters in Christ? Do you love Jesus Christ more than just simply lounging, doing nothing when you could be reading about Jesus Christ? Saints, why is it that we can't love Christ in the manner that we ought to? What holds us back? What's the biggest hindrance in our life? And as John Owen said rightly, The biggest hindrance in the Christian life is not our lack of effort. but It's our lack of acquaintedness with the privileges that we have in Christ. In other words, it's not your lack of effort. It's not that you don't pray enough, read enough, think about Christ enough. But you don't know who Jesus Christ is. And you don't know what he has done for you. That's the biggest hindrance. We must know who Christ is. We must know what he's done for us. Take, for example, when you are dating or courting or whatever you want to call it, your future bride or someone. The more you know about that person, what happens? The more you begin to love that person. And I find it strange how people can say, I love Christ with all my heart, soul, and mind, and all they know is that he lived and he died. But they don't know what else he did. They don't know the offices that he carries. 
And lastly, saints, notice St. Paul says, if anyone. If anyone. This language is similar to what Paul said in Galatians 1.8, but even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you, let him be accursed. See, in, in Galatians 1.8, Paul does the deed, and he, and, and he says, if anyone along this chain of being, if you are spiritual or if you are material, if anyone preaches to you a gospel contrary to the one I preached to you, let him be accursed. And here he says the same thing. If anyone doesn't love Jesus Christ, he shows no partiality. He makes no distinction in man like he did in Galatians 1.8. If anyone. J.C. Ryle comments on this point. He says, Paul allows no way of escape to man, to the man who does not love Christ. He leaves no loophole for excuse. A man may lack a clear head knowledge and yet be saved. He may fail in courage and be overcome by the fear of man like Peter. He may fail tremendously like David and yet rise again. But if a person does not love Christ, that he is not in the way of life. The curse is yet upon him. He is on the broad road that leads to destruction. If you don't love Christ, and friends, I don't know what that type of Christian life looks like. I'm unsure if you are even a Christian, if you don't love Christ. As we close this point, what have we learned? Well, simply put, we've seen that loving Christ is a command by God that carries severe consequences if we don't obey. And friends, let me add, out of all the commands by God, this is the one that we should not bicker or complain about. Out of all the commands that we know about, if there's any command that we should say amen to, that we should give our whole life to obey, it is this one. Love Jesus Christ with all of our heart, soul, or mind, or you are accursed. Notice Jesus Christ and him alone. Not Jesus Christ in the world. Not Jesus Christ and your friends. Not Jesus Christ and your social status in the world or your money. But Jesus Christ and him alone. Now let's consider the motives to love Christ. The motives to love Christ. We have the command to love, but some of us need motivation to love. Are there any motives to love Jesus Christ? Well, let's first consider Christ and his person. Our love for Christ starts with who Jesus Christ is, rather than what he has done. Jesus Christ is truly God and truly man. He is the second person of the blessed Trinity who, for our salvation, was born of a virgin. The old boys would say that Christ is Everything that God is, save for being the Father and the Spirit. And he's everything that man is, save for being sin. Meaning that Christ is just as God as the Father and the Spirit is, yet he is not the Father or the Spirit. And he's everything that man is, yet he is, out, he is without sin. He is perfect God, and he is perfect man in one person. And the beauty of Christ's person is this, is that in his glorious person, our reconciliation meets. In his glorious person, 
what we need so desperately meets in him. As our confession says in chapter 7, paragraph 1, the distance between us and God is so vast that we can't approach God. But in Christ, we can approach God because heaven and earth meet in one person. As the great Puritan Thomas Goodwin said, in Christ, heaven kissed earth. There was a perfect harmony in marriage in the person of Jesus Christ. He is the mediator between God and man. He's not merely some third party that comes in between God and man. You know when you're fighting with your friends and you need that third party to come in to mediate? That's not who Christ is. But rather, he is both parties in one person. He doesn't come in between us. But rather, he is God and he is man. He is both the offended party as God. And he is the party that offered the offense as man. In him, our perfect reconciliation and salvation meet. And because he is such, Christ is the most suitable object for your love, is he not? He is the most perfect object of your love. Why would you not love this person? Consider Christ in his offices. Jesus is prophet, priest, and king, which corresponds to the threefold state in which we fell in Adam. In Adam, we are ignorant of God's word. We are guilty before God, and we are corrupt in our nature. We needed these three faculties in order in order for us to be saved, we needed those three faculties to be healed. And Christ as prophet, priest, and king heals that threefold state in which we fell in Adam. He heals our ignorance. He releases us from being guilty under God's wrath. And he restores and advances our nature. Herman Bobbing says, he had to be prophet to know and disclose the truth of God, a priest to devote himself to God in our place and to offer himself to up to God, a king to govern and protect us according to God's will. Christ is a prophet. Why? To teach you the word of God. Christ is a priest. Why? To offer a perfect sacrifice to reconcile us to the Father. He is a king. Why? Because sin used to be your king. But now Christ is your king, and he leads you, and he conquers all of your enemies. As a prophet, he's truth. As a priest, he's love. And as a king, he's power. This is who our Christ is in his threefold state, in his threefold office. Consider Christ and his work. Friends, is there anyone in history that has done more for you than Jesus Christ? My mom, bless her heart, does everything for me. But what she does for me doesn't compare in comparison to what Jesus Christ has done for me. For your salvation, he became man. For your salvation, he was born under the law. For your salvation, he kept the law. For your salvation, he was despised and rejected by men. For your salvation, he gave his back to those who strike, his beard to those who pluck. For your salvation, he died. He shed his blood. And for your salvation, he rose on the third day. Saints, we admire 
and even love those who give their time and money for the betterment of others, do we not? We praise the, 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 the humanitarians and all those who give money and finances and do great things for others. But friends, what did Christ give for the betterment of us? He gave more than money. But he gave himself. The Puritans would say that in times eternal, God went into his cabinet and found the rarest and most expensive jewel for your salvation. That is Jesus Christ. In Christ you have everything. He's the most suitable object for us to love. Consider what Christ is unto all Christians. What is our relationship to Christ? Who is he? The Puritan Thomas Vincent has said it best. If you be such, Christ is your shepherd. He feeds you in green pastures. He has laid down his life for his sheep. And will you not love such a shepherd? He is your captain who has conquered all of your enemies for you, and he leads you to take on the spoils. Will you not love such a leader? He is your prophet who teaches you the most excellent things I've ever taught, the highest mysteries, the most glorious truths, and will you not love such a teacher? He's your high priest who has made satisfaction for you and withal makes intercession for you to reconcile you unto God. And will you not love such an advocate? He's your king who rules you most powerfully and righteously, most wisely and graciously. And will you not love such a sovereign? He's your benefactor, the most kind and bountiful, and no gifts are comparable to his gifts. Will you not love such a friend? He is your brother. And if he... Be not ashamed to own you as his brethren and sisters. Will you not be ashamed if will it not be a shame if you should withhold from him your hearts? Jesus is not ashamed to call you your his brothers and sisters. Why are we ashamed to give our hearts to him? Why are we ashamed to give our love to him? He is your husband. A great husband that he is. And you are joined to him by the spirit and faith in such bonds that can never be broken. And will you not embrace him in the most dearest of arms? He is your redeemer who rescued you and delivered you from sin and Satan, from death and wrath. He has redeemed you by a price, the price of his own blood. Will you not love this savior? And lastly, I will add, he is God. Will you not obey God by loving him? Yes. And lastly, consider Christ's love to all true Christians. Look, if there's any motive that we need to love Christ, consider his love to you. If you need any motivation to love Christ, consider the love that he has for you. First, Christ's love is free. This is so different than how we love, is it not? We need motivation to love others. But Christ's love is free. Our love, we are compelled to love. You do something for me, come up here, give me $100, I'm going to love you to the moon and back. And in many ways, my love depends upon you. What you do. How are you acting toward me? 
but in many, and, and we, are, we are wooed to love. But, but friends, this can't be said about Christ. Every creaturely aspect of love that we have cannot be said about Jesus Christ because Christ loves freely. Christ was not compelled to love you, brothers and sisters. Christ was not wooed to love you. Christ didn't look down the quarters of time and saw how beautiful you are because there was nothing beautiful in you. There was nothing appealing that drew Christ's love toward you. Do you understand that? Why do you love your wife? Because she's beautiful. She can cook. She has money, if she has money. She has a wonderful personality. That can't be said about you. There's no list about you that's great about you that Christ said, hmm, this, this man is this, this, that, and that. Therefore, I will love him. But he loved you freely. Without any wooing, without any compulsion to love, he loved you freely. There's nothing in you that drew Christ's love toward you. Jesus Christ loves you most freely. Will you not love him most dearly? There is nothing that motivated Christ's love toward you. Then will you not love Christ in whom there are so many motives to love him? There's more motives to love Jesus Christ than there is motives for Christ to love you. Will you not love him? He loved you most freely when you were most ugly. Will you not return that love to the one who was altogether lovely? He loved you when you were the ugliest. Will you not love him in his exalted state when he is the most loveliest? Secondly, Christ's love is true. This speaks volumes to the, to, the, to the culture and to the friends and family that we have in our current society, in our own relationships. Christ loves you with, a, with the truest of love. Friends, consider all the people in your life that love you. Now ask yourselves, why do they love you? And the common denominator of why they love you is found in something about you that compels their love to, for them to love you. My, my mother loves me to death, I'm sure. But she only loves me to death because I'm her son. You love me, I'm sure, but she only loves me because I preach you the word. You've known me throughout time. You've seen me, talked to me, and all these other things. If you do love me, I hope you love me. In other words, you love me because of other things. But that love can change. Every day, our love is on a roller coaster, is it not? There are some also who love us because of the things they can get from us. But this can't be said about Christ's love towards us. His love is not a counterfeit love. There's so many people that, that don't love you, but they just merely flatter you. But Christ's love doesn't, he doesn't flatter you. He doesn't have a fake love toward you. He doesn't love you one moment and then hate you the next. He's not selfish with his love. He doesn't love you for his own selfish gain. He doesn't love you to receive any good for you. Rather, Christ loves you in order that he may do good unto you. It's for your benefit that Christ loves you, not for his. 
While others have reasons why they love you, Christ loves you. Why? Because of Christ. Why does he love you? Because it's his good will and pleasure to love you. And lastly, Christ's love is sure. Jesus Christ loves with the surest of love. Love is something that is here at one moment and can be gone the next. Our love is always on a roller coaster. There are many friends who I used to have deep love for. I don't have that love for anymore. But this can't be the case with Christ's love. Since Christ has loved you since the days of eternity, then he will continue to love you. He loves you from all time. From the beginning of the world. Before the beginning of the world. If he loves you once, he will love you to the end. The love of Christ is not subject to mutations or changes like us. His love for you cannot be altered. Christ in his love admits of no changing. And it knows no ending. Christ's love for us is, is not like Darla's love for alfalfa. He doesn't love you once and then hate you the next, and love you once and hate you the next, but his love is consistent. It's one with his nature. Immutable, simple, self-sufficient, without any assistance, eternal. If you lag in your love toward Christ, he will not fail in his love toward you. And though at times you will offend him, and at times the, the outward manifestations of his love will be withdrawn. Friends, don't think for one second that he has wholly removed his love from you. Just as he says in Israel and Isaiah, you think I don't love you? Where are your divorce papers? Saints, there's plenty more that we can say, but the heart of the matter is this. Since Jesus is God who became man, who lived, who died and rose for you, what more motivation do you need to love him? As we close, the question that must be answered is this. How do we love Christ? We saw the command. We saw the motive. Now, how do we do this in our lives? Jesus says in John 14, 16, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. Obedience is the great hallmark of the Christian life. Without obedience to God, simply put, you're not a Christian. You can't say, I have faith in Christ and not obey Christ. And the first way we show our love to Christ is by obeying all that he commands. And start with this one. Start by loving him. We show our love for Christ by reading the Bible. As Thomas Vincent said, the scriptures are Christ's love letters. The word of God is the glass by which we see Jesus Christ more visibly. It's a shame that people don't read their Bible. It's a shame that people don't take time to read the word of God. Because in the word of God, what do we read? We read of Christ. From front to back, the Bible is all about Jesus Christ. We show our love for Christ by praying. Each day we should be praying that God will not blow out our love for Christ, just as we were exhorted last Sabbath day to pray that God will not uh, allow this flame of our love for our brothers and sisters to be taken away. In prayer, 
Not only do we commune with the Father and the Spirit, but we also commune with the Son. So pray to Him. And I found in my own life that consistent prayer. And the more I'm consistently praying, the more I love Jesus Christ. And, and, and not just simply praying for your own needs, but praying in a way that you are amening who Christ is. That you are saying back to Christ who you are. Jesus, you are truly God. And you are truly man. You are altogether lovely. You are our prophet, priest, and king. You are our meteor. You are a surety. We show our love for Christ by walking by faith. Hebrews 11.1 1, Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. Again, the Puritan Thomas Vincent says, Our communion with Christ is by faith. The strongest faith brings to us the greatest intimacy, fellowship with Christ. And therefore, it is the means of the strongest love. Endower then to get a strong faith and to live daily in the powerful exercise thereof. The more you live by faith, the more you will dwell in the love of Christ. Saints, the more we grab hold, grab hold to, to Christ and the privileges that we have in Christ, the more deeper and intense your love will be for Christ. We show our love for Christ by fighting sin. Friends, we should hate that which hung our husband on the cross. Saints, kill sin daily. Do not let sin enter into any room in your heart. For the more room sin has in your heart, the less room Christ has in your heart. The more you allow sin to creep into your heart, the more you push out Christ in your heart. And lastly, we show our love for Christ by doing that which we were exhorted to do last Sabbath day. Pastor Antonio preached on Hebrews 13.1, let brotherly love continue. How do we show our love for Christ? By letting our brotherly love continue. The beloved John says in 1 John 4.20, If anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has not seen, or cannot, who has seen, cannot love God whom he has seen. Friends, you can't love Christ without loving the people of Christ. Simply put. You can't say yes to Christ without saying, the peop, saying yes to the people of Christ. As we were told last Sabbath day, no matter how weird we are, my brother loves to tell me we're all weird. I am the weirdest. <laughs> no matter how difficult we are, we all are difficult. But friends, we are called to love those who are difficult, to love those who are weird. And one of the greatest things that was said last Sabbath day was that love gives the benefit of the doubt. Love is patient with one another. Love doesn't abuse one another. Love doesn't talk down about one another. Love lifts one another up. And I say, if you truly love Christ, then you have to love your brothers and sisters in Christ. A lot more can be said, I know. But the essence of this lesson is this, that if you don't love Christ, 
that I don't know what type of Christian life you are living. And I will echo what Pastor Antonio said last Sabbath day. If you don't love your brothers and sisters in Christ, I don't know what type of Christian life that is. And the reason why I wanted to preach this sermon as the first sermon of 2020 is the same reason why Paul wrote this at the end of his letter. Simply to wake you up. Don't let 2019 be the same. Or 2020 be the same as 2019. Grow in Christ. Let go of all those things that hold you back, all those hindrances, and love Christ. Say to yourself at the end of 2020, man, that was so much better than 2019. And one of the ways we can do that is by loving Christ and loving our brothers and sisters in Christ. Let's pray.